Father in heaven, we thank you in humbleness for Jesus. We thank you for Sabbath. We thank you for the promise that you will be among us here to your spirit. Please open the world for us and touch every heart. You know every need. You know every heart. You know everything about us. There is nothing hidden. Work according to your grace and your power. In Jesus' merits, we thank you, Lord. Amen. And so, I thought a lot about our daily struggles and the struggle to overcome. Don't we struggle with that? To be better, to grow. I thought a lot about the preparation for the second coming. I thought a lot about the daily challenges when you get sick, when you have job problems, when you have family problems, when you have church problems, whatever challenges you may have, because we all have challenges regardless if we like to acknowledge or not. And I want to address that a little because we face that regardless if you are at work or in the garden or at home or in the church. You face that. And so I want to address that a little. And before I dive into it, I want to mention a couple of things. You see, I'm going to give you an example. In my very first district ever, 28 years ago, in that countryside church, mud, no asphalt on the roads, terrible, you know, uh, people that didn't understand the meaning of shower. Do I need to explain that, you know? But good people, nevertheless, but they were, you know, mountain people. In that church, there was a head elder, I'm not going to tell you the name, who had been head elder for over 20-some years. And the head elder was working for the secret police, like KGB in Russia. It was the security police in Romania. And the head elder confiscated the tight money from the church, and if anybody tried to take it back, they would go to prison. So people got in fear of even giving money to the church because it would go to the head elder's family. So people would just buy stuff for the church instead of giving the money for the church or send the money straight to the conference or so on. I don't want to go in, that, in those details, but he was very controlling and very angry man. That head elder moved several pastors. As soon as you disagree with him, he would call the police. And you had two options. Get fired or move. And if you opposed and you made an argument about it, you could even go to prison. That head elder, they tried to remove him from the position many times. And one time when they finally voted him out, the police came and locked the church and said, if you want a church, you put him back, elder. That was the end of the story. And those people lost hope that they can actually do what they want, and they thought, you know, this is it. We live in communism, we need to do what the police says. Now, that head elder, when I got there, he didn't realize that I was crazy. <laughs> and he came to me and he says, I have power. And he, he used to spit when he would talk. And I said, stay away from me, because I don't have an umbrella. <laughs> he says, what? And I said, you heard me. And I backed myself about two steps. And he came closer. And he says, I have power. And I got close to him and I said, you don't. He, oh, nobody ever screamed at me. I said, you see, then stop screaming at me. He was like, oh, you know. I, he didn't expect that, you know. And so, 
He says, son, you do what I say. I said, grandpa, I do what God says. He was like, come on, don't argue with me. I said, why not? Nobody argues with me. I said, what about your wife? Well, that's a different story, you see? <laughs> I said, this is a different story too. No, this is not. I said, stop arguing. I'm the pastor. You will be no more pastor. I said, yes, I will. Anyway, long story short. I visited church members because you cannot go in a district and start changing the church. You need to change first, not the church. Because those people live there. They know the location. You come here, you know nothing about the people, you know nothing about the location. You need first to know people and build relationships. And after you know them and know the location, you need to love them enough to visit them and listen to their needs and their health and their families. And after you have been praying for them and helping them and loving them, then you need to see God's plan and then beg that God would show them his plan because if they promote it, they support it. But if you promote it, they don't support it. You follow me? And so instead of me changing the church, I started to visit the church and pray and listen. You don't have to agree, you just have to listen. When you listen, people think you are the best and the wisest, regardless if you are not wise. You just listen and they love you and they say, man, this guy is so smart. You know, just listen. People who keep teaching, after a while you stop because you have no more to teach, because you finish. But when you listen, then you have what to teach, because if you listen carefully, you really learn. You follow me? And so I, I was listening and then praying for them. I didn't say, oh, I agree with you. I was just listening and then praying for them. Visited the whole district, everybody in the church. And then started second round of visits. And they said, you know, no pastor visited us so much and you certainly love us. And I said, well, I'm trying. I don't know you yet, but I'm trying. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to, oh, I love you. so." They know when you lie. It's better to be honest. You know? And so I said, I'm trying. And so... I get to visit him. And the header says to me, no, you don't love me. I said, well, I'm trying. <laughs> he says, I will teach you how to do what I say. I said, well, you can try too. <laughs> and after he talked and talked and talked, he told me and he said, I have my plans and I have my power and I have my experience and I have my wisdom and I never fail. People in control, people secure when they do what they think that they should do. So I told him, I said, you know, I am the opposite. I have no plans, I have no power, I have no wisdom, but I have prayer. He said, yeah, that's nothing. I said, well, if God is with us, who can be against us? He says, oh, you don't know me. I said, oh, you don't know God. He says, you are so naive. I say, yes, I agree with you. That's the way I got to be. Unless I am naive, God cannot lead me. He says, you agree that you are naive? I said, no argument there. <laughs> said, if, you, if you try to say that you are somebody, you already lost it. Because you already lost it spiritually when you think you are somebody. God cannot lead somebody. God can lead only nobody. You follow me? As long as you are somebody, God cannot take control. You need to give up control and be nobody for God to take control. And that's where we struggle, because we are somebody. That's the reason we fight, because we are somebody. I was in the first grade, and kids, oh, you are an Adventist. Oh, you are stupid, you are an Adventist. I went home crying, Dad, they say that I am an Adventist. My father looks to me and says, aren't you? Yes. Then why do you cry? Well, they, they, they make fun of me. 
And my father says, well, you have a problem, son. No, they do. No, you do. They don't. So my father took me by hand, walked to the cemetery, went to a grave. And my father said, who is there under the ground? I said, a dead person? He says, okay, tell them that they are stupid and they are Adventists. I said, well, I don't know if they are Adventists. Just tell them, hey, you are stupid. I said, no, I, you, told me not to, you taught me not to speak badly. He said, just do it. I said, you are stupid and you are an Adventist. And my father says, what did he say? I said, nothing, he's dead. And my father hit him. I said, no, I'm not going to hit a dead body. Hit him. I said, okay. And I hit the ground. And my father says, what did he say? I said, nothing, he's dead. Who knows how long he has been dead? Maybe 10, 20 years. And my father took me by my cheeks, looked me in the eye and said, son, people will keep hurting you before you die. Huh? You know why you get hurt every day? Because you are alive. If you die daily, people cannot hurt you. But God, whose servant you are, when they attack you and you serve God, they attack God. And God says, I will go before you and I will fight for you. But because we have our methods and our fights, God cannot fight for us. And so I told the head elder, I said, hey, I have no plans, but I have God. And if God is with me, who can be against me? And if God fights for me, I already won the battle. He says, you won nothing. Let's see. I said, hey, I can tell you then from the beginning, God is going to win. And if I serve God, I am going to win. So I said, I can celebrate already the victory. <laughs> he says, you can celebrate nothing. I said, well, we will talk. Church members started to ask me, are you on his side or our side? I said, I'm nobody's side. I'm on God's side. They said, you need to take a side. I said, no. Why do you try to assign people a side? Shouldn't you assign people God's side? Why do you try to have God and people fight your war instead of you fighting God's wars? Why do you give God a place in your army instead of you aligning in his army? Oh, God, are you a Democrat or a Republican? That's foolishness. We get to the point that we become so emotional that we hate each other instead of loving each other. Oh, we don't agree. They are all stupid. No, they are not. Just for you judging them, it tells me that you are not spiritual and you don't have Christ in your heart. God is not Republican. God is not Democrat. God is love. And if you are God, if you have God in your heart, you should love all regardless if you agree with them or not. You should love the, 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 the leadership, if you agree or not. You need to pray for them. You don't have to agree, but you need to love and pray for them. Do you follow me? You need to learn to respect people as you want to be respected. And so I told him, I said, listen, I told the church members, I am not on your side. I'm in God's side. And you better follow me and get on God's side. Oh, okay, pastor, but we have no power with him because this guy calls the police. I said, you have no power because you have no God. You are Adventist in theory, but you are not Adventist in life. You have a church, but you don't have a religion. Do you follow me? Because if you have a real religion, you have a real God. And a real God has power. And if you don't have power, you have just a theory of religion, but without denying its power. If you don't have power, then you don't have a real God. You have only a theory of God. And they said, what do you mean? I said, that's the problem. You don't know what I mean. And I said to them, this is what we are going to do from now on. Instead of fighting him, we are going to start praying for him. They said, it's hopeless. 
I said, there is nothing hopeless. If you say that, you are hopeless. There is nothing impossible for God. All things are possible to God. Am I right or wrong? And so I said, start praying for him because unless you invest in him, you'll never love him. And God loves him. I said, start praying for him. Oh, 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 okay. And I started, my wife and I, I don't know the others, I started to pray for him. Church members asked me, elections come. Should we vote him back and head elder or take him down and then the police would close the church? I said, you should not ask me. This is politics. What you do? You ask me what to vote? Don't you have knees? Don't you have a brain? Go to God and ask him what to vote. Oh, we know what is right. We just cannot do it. Then stay away. Stay home. Watch a movie, stupid movie, eat pizza. Don't come to church. They said, why would you do that? Because you lose time in the church. If you come to church and you have heard 1,000 sermons in your life and you are still the same, why do you come to church? And I said, go home, get on your knees and say, Lord, give me the wisdom what to do at election when we have the nominating committee and give me the power and the faith to trust that you are alive and you are in control. Uh, Pastor, we did try to talk to the conference. We did try to solve the problem. I said, stop pulling strings. Politics. We did try. We did try. I said, you forget that God loves this church. And God is in control. And the church is the object. You, you remember the quotation? The, the, the God loves this church. And if he wants to do something, he'll do it. And if he doesn't, you don't need to understand. You need to pray and to trust. You follow me? We so many times don't obey unless we understand and unless it matches our view. Stop manipulating God to match your view. That's the reason we get disappointed when we pray. Because unless God does the way we ask, we don't think that he worked. He did just the way he wants. And so I told them, start praying and elect whoever God tells you, not who I tell you. I'm not going to tell you a name. And after you elect, trust that God will intervene and pray and fast that God is going to show himself and help you all and me repent and help this head elder repent and pray that God will show himself that this church that is dead in this community would become a life and a light and it would impress and change the community and save the community. They said, well, it sounds good. I said, yes, so do it. And they started to pray, some of them. And we had election. And they didn't vote him. Wow, it seems they did pray because they had courage. In the church, during the election, when they said, all the names, but he was not among the names. He got up. I said, young man, he was in somewhere in the audience, and I was at the pulpit, and, and uh, sitting down, and the guy announced the list. And he got up, young man, and everybody looked to him and looked to the pulpit. I said, the pastor, the pastor, young man, today you'll be fired. He was planning to call the police. In that second, he had a heart attack, and he dropped in the church. I didn't pray for that. They took him to hospital and they sent him home because he had a major heart attack and he lived a few more days and died. I went to visit him at home and he said, there is no hope. And this is the second story that happened in my ministry time, 28 years, kind of the same. One with a lady and one with this man. Different times, one 28 years ago, one just about 15 years ago, whatever, not important. And so I visited him at home. And he could not talk. He was whispering. So I got close to him. And he says, I am lost. I said, how do you know? 
I sinned. I said, we all do. I said, God knew your sins before you were born. All of it. And he chose to die for you and to love you. So how do you know? Well, how can I be forgiven? Simply, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just forgiven to cleanse. That's what my Bible says. Well, too many sins to confess. I said, then it's time to start. <laughs> he said, should I confess to you? No. To me, you just say sorry for trying to threaten me, but you know, I, do, I was not offended. I said, that's okay, you don't need to confess to me, but the others, you do. Well, I fired so many pastors. I said, so let's start there. He, but I cannot talk. I said, I will do the talking. Tell me the name. He would give me the name. I would call the pastor. Hey, he wants forgiveness. I cannot forgive him. I got fired. I said, well, I will pray for you. Bye. <laughs> he says, did he forgive me? I said, none of your business. You ask forgiveness. You solve the problem. Now it's between him and God. It's not your problem anymore. You follow me? Next one. Well, I guess I forgive him. Good for you. <laughs> Next one. I spent about five days calling all the people that he offended, that he could remember. He says, what if there is more and I don't remember? I said, you don't need to. God doesn't consider things that we don't know. You follow me? And so I said, you are okay. He says, would you preach at my funeral? I said, that would be my pleasure. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, sure, I will do it, you know. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say that would be my pleasure, no. <laughs> and then he called me. He said, come close. So I got close. And he got his hand around me. And he said, I'm so glad that you came. Because I can be saved. And I said, hey, I'm so glad that I came. Because I have a chance to learn love. How can you learn love when nobody would challenge you, you know? Oh, we love everybody. No, we don't. You know if you love, if you love the one who hates you, then you know. And so, folks, how do you fight the daily battle? How do you fight the daily battle? Think about it. Joshua. Joshua was called by God. Moses died, you remember? Moses died. And God called Joshua to take the people to the promised land. Now, we know the stories, and we think it's simple. But if you're Joshua, do you think it's simple? It's a lot of responsibility. To be responsible for a whole nation. Do you get the picture? If he did a mistake, people will perish. People will die in the war. People will die if he did a mistake. So Joshua, knowing that he is incapable, he went to God and prayed and said, Please be with me because I, uh, the spirit of prophecy says in Patriarchs and Prophets, he knew his limitations and in humbleness he asked for God's leading and God assured him that as God has been with Moses, God will be with him. You need to read the quotations. Now, Joshua, very interesting, he says there in Patriarchs and Prophets, with great anxiety, humility and self-distrust became the next leader. I want to mention people that are secure on themselves, Oh, I have experience. They don't get help. Only when you go to God in brokenness and you say, I am not able. I don't deserve it. I am nothing. I know nothing. I can do nothing. I depend on you. People that express their total dependence on God in honest humility are those who get help. So if you struggle for help, you know what to do now. And God said, be courageous. Do not depart from the law. And you'll succeed. Joshua knew that whatever God commands, God will make a way. So God told Joshua, 
consecrate yourselves because tomorrow I will do great things among you. What was the condition for God to do great things among you? What is consecration? They were told to search themselves, first clean themselves, wash themselves, but then to search their mind, says Ellen White, and if there is anything between them and the neighbor, or between them and God, they are supposed to solve it. You follow me? And so they had time to solve their problems. Consecrate yourself, because tomorrow I will do great things among you. And then God told him, you will cross Jordan. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Jordan. This is Jordan. Have you been there? How many? Good. I've been there. In order to baptize people, there is a spot that you can hardly find that is a little deeper. The water is up to here. Everything else, the water is up to here and is wide from here to here. I mean, one, two, three, four, I cross Jordan. And the water is to my knee, you know. Not a big deal. You Tomorrow you cross Jordan. Not a big deal. But twice a year, in April and in October, end of March, beginning of April, and middle of October is the rainy season. In the rainy season, Jordan becomes one mile wide, average 1.6 kilometers, about one mile wide, deep. It goes over the riverbed, and it goes so fast, and it comes with trees from the mountain, and that's the reason he says the man who built his house on the rock, and the man who built his house on the is not in the Bible in Greek, doesn't say sand. It says potamos in Greek. That means dry river bed. So the man who was lazy put his house on the dry river bed. Do you follow me? Because all the reconstruction materials were there. So when the water came from the mountains, guess what? They didn't just demolish the house. They took it all together. No more house. And so it was in the rainy season when they were supposed to cross Jordan. But Joshua didn't say, Lord, how am I going to do this? It's impossible for me. When God says do it, you should not wonder how. As long as you wonder how, you will never obey. You need to just trust and obey. Period. If you wait to understand God's command, you will never obey. Because God, when God talks to you, if in your mind the plan that you receive is small, that's not God. That's you. When God talks to you, he's going to give you two things. Number one, big plans. Number two, plans that you cannot understand. Number one, how they are? Big. If they are small, that's you. God is big. We are small. God says that he's going to push the sun back 10 hours. God says that he's going to split the sea in two and you'll cross through the sea. God says that you have to go to war with 300 people uh, against 600,000. God says, this is big. When you have small plans, that's you. Number two, when God talks to you, he gives you impossible crazy things. Build an ark, that's crazy. Go to war and put the choir in the front. I don't want to sing soprano. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Front line. Go to war and have the choir in the front of the army. Nonsense. Go to war and have a trumpet and a light. And the sword? No need of sword. <laughs> Would you, if you, now you know the story. But Gideon's army, Jehoshaphat's army, they didn't know the story. They didn't read the Bible before they went to war. And so they were supposed to go to war 
by faith as we are supposed to. You don't need to understand. God's plans are so big and so crazy that your human mind, you don't understand unless you know the future. And you don't know the future. Therefore, stop questioning in order to obey. Just obey. That's the reason God cannot perform miracles today. Because you don't obey, because you don't understand, because you are afraid. Why don't you obey? Because you don't trust him. Why don't you trust him? Because you don't know him. Because if you spend time with him and know him, you don't need to doubt because you know him. And say, oh, we know God. No, we know about God. To know God, it means that you walk with him. You experience him. And so, Joshua knew God. And he knew that if God gives the command, cross Jordan, God will provide a way. So Joshua was told that they are supposed to have the priests take the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead and not wait for a miracle in order to obey. Don't wait for the problem to be solved in order to obey. But rather, first put your foot in the water by faith. And then the waters will recede. recede. And so that's what happened. It says, when they dip their feet in the waters, the tide above... You, you remember the quotation, don't you? You know what happened. No miracle happened before they obeyed. Miracles don't happen before you have faith. Now, this is somehow parallel with the splitting of the Red Sea. Why would God repeat the same miracle? Have you ever asked yourself why? Because Joshua was questioning if God is with them or not. And to assure him that the same God is with him, God performed the same miracle. For instance, God said to Moses, take your shoes off. And when Joshua was praying and God came, God did, what did he say to Joshua? To assure him that the stranger that came is the same God and have no fear. You follow me? I will be with you. I'm here. You obey me? I'm here. You do what I say. Forget yourself. Just do not your plans. Do my plans and I'm with you. And so, let's move on. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So, what did God say then? This is crazy. God will do wonders. God will do amazing. Cut yourself. You know what they did at Gilgal? All the men experienced a terrible pain. I don't need to explain. Do I? You know what physicians say about it? Moreover, if you go back when they didn't have anesthesia, imagine in that time, and they cut themselves with stones or whatever, Archaeology history says that they were about one week in terrible pain. About one week. They were like, you know. You go to the border of the enemy and this is the strategy. You handicap yourself. Is that a good strategy? When God starts working, God's plans always go in the wrong direction. If they go in the good direction, it's you. God promised Joseph, I'm going to put you over your family and put him in prison. God told Moses, you are going to deliver my people. And he went to wilderness. When God's plan starts being fulfilling, they go in wrong direction. So if you wonder what's happening in your life because everything goes wrong, praise the Lord. God started to fulfill his plan in your life. Because God can never... Get you up before he gets you down. God can never muddle you before he breaks you. As long as you are somebody, 
God is nobody. When you finally get off the throne in your heart, God can get on the throne and take control. And before we learn to fully die to self, God cannot be alive. Hello? Therefore, they had to handicap themselves and to show full trust and be absolutely powerless in front of the enemy. So there will never be a shadow of doubt that they got victory. And everybody will know that God gave victory. And so, after that, Joshua finally, it, it sunk in. We are absolutely powerless. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot get victory. We cannot even move. So Joshua says, okay, what can we do then? Give up self. Die to self. Surrender self. The greatest enemy is not Satan, is not your neighbor, is not your spouse. It's self, Ellen White says. Give up self and go to a secluded place and, and bow down and humble yourself. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift. You know the song. If my people who are called by my name would humble. We don't like the word humble. We like to humble everybody around us. And so, humble him. he humbles himself, and as he humbles himself, he says, Lord, I need you. I cannot get victory in this, in this battle. I need you. Please help me. And as he's praying, seeking God's presence and help, a stranger comes to him with a sword. And the stranger comes to him, and Joshua gets up and takes the sword and says, Are you with us or against us? Why would you ask God in your struggle if he's with you or against you? Huh? Can it be that we never understand how God works? Can it be that we don't know him enough and we confuse him with the enemy? When he comes to help, we think he comes to destroy. The disciples were on the lake and Jesus comes and they're struggling because they're sinking because of the storm. And Jesus comes and they, instead of being happy, they scream, it's a ghost! Can you? Jacob, he's fighting a stranger the whole night. And eventually he realizes that he's God. Can we be fighting a stranger and think it's a stranger, an enemy, and actually fight God? In our struggle, in our daily fight, without realizing we probably are fighting God? And you ask God for help against the enemy and God smiles and says, there is no enemy, it's me trying to change you. Hello? Okay. And so, Joshua says, are you with us or against us? And God says, neither. Stop assigning God a place in your army. Neither, but I came because you have called me. Neither, but I came because you have called me. I'm a commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua falls down and says, what do you want me to do? Related to the war, related to Jericho. Ellen White says, he asked, give me help, give me a solution. What do you want me to do with these people at the border of Jericho, at the border of Canaan? What do you want me to do? And God says, okay, you need to get, have a board meeting and you need to plan, devise a one-year plan. And this is how you do it. You have so much evangelism and you have so many... Is that what God says? God is deaf. He needs our uh, uh, hearing aids. Jacob says, 
Please bless me. And God doesn't say yes, doesn't say no. He says, what is your name? God doesn't hear well. Why would God not answer to the request? Please bless me. What is your name? Why? Because that's where he dropped the ball. When he left his house. When his father asked, what is your name? He said, I am Isa. That's where he dropped the ball. He had to go back and pick it up from there. Stop pretending that you are who you are not. Before you own who you are, you get no help. That's the way it starts with confession. So God says, tell me your name. And he, re he realized, he says, well, I am the deceiver. And God blessed him and changed his name and made him a blessing for all nations. And he didn't have to fight no more. Because God showed in a dream that night to his brother and said, don't touch him. Because when you confess and surrender, God goes before you and he fights your battles. And your salvation is in serenity and peace. The same story here. The same story here. Joshua says, what should we do? Give us the plan. And God says, take your shoes off. What is the connection between the war and the shoes? I don't get it. Can it be that we focus so much on our wars that we miss the God that is in the war? We focus so much on the battle that we don't see the God in the battle. And we say, are you with us or against us? It's God. Take your eyes off the problem and put your eyes on God. Your war is not to fight your problems. Your war is to focus on God. The way you fight the battles is not by fighting your battles. The way you fight the battles is by worshipping God. Because the reason you have a problem to begin with is because you don't know God. If you put your eyes on God and knew how big and how gracious and how powerful and how wise and how good He is, you'd have no more problems. Your battles will diminish. Why would I fear the battle when I have such a God? But you fear the battle because you don't have a God. Hello? You are quiet. People who don't know God fight and fear the battle and get stressed. People who focus on God, they have no reason to be stressed. You follow me? That's what he says. You keep him in perfect peace. He whose eyes in other translation, whose mind is fixed on you. You follow me? And so, God says, the way you fight your battles is not by fighting your battles, but by worshipping me and keeping your eyes on me and getting to know me in order to trust me. That's how you fight your battles. The way you fight your battles is by worshipping God and focusing on God. And let me explain a little. We have this problem that we go to God and we say, Lord, I'm losing my house. Let me ask you, is Satan interested in taking your house because he doesn't have a, an apartment or a house? Does Satan live in homes? Okay. Satan is trying to attack your health. Is Satan interested to take your health because he's sick and he needs your health? He says, I have arthritis, I cannot walk, I'm going to take your leg so I can walk. Is Satan interested in your health? No. no. Is Satan interested in your job? Satan doesn't work. Is he interested in you? Oh, I'm going to take your job because I don't have a job. Is Satan trying to take your job? Then you need to realize that all these problems that we have are not the real problems that we have. The real problem is faith. And when Satan allows all these things to happen, he's not after your job. He's after your faith. And so stop trying to solve problems. Rather focus on God. Because when you build faith, you have no more problems. 
And so, what is the message that you have for me? And God says, this is the message. When you are in the war, take your shoes off and forget the war. Why take your shoes off? Because when they enter the sanctuary, they, free people, had shoes. Slaves had no shoes. When they entered, they took shoes off and they said through that, I am your servant. I am nobody. I do whatever you say. You are the master. If you really want to win the battle, make yourself a servant before the Lord. The city was the key to the whole country. And it presented a formidable obstacle to their success. That's what Patriots and Prophets says. Let me tell you a little, a little about the city. Ten acre size. Original name of the city was not Jericho, but Yarech. That is the name of their goddess moon. It was located 825 feet below the sea level and 460 below above the Dead Sea. Basically, the single place on Earth where you can, f <laughs> where you can fly an F-16 under the sea level. <laughs> okay. And strategically, it was the most fortified city in the whole country of Canaan. It was the center of commerce and trade, greatest city in the country, key to the whole country. Now, if we talk about the city, the walls, the walls, I've been there, there is only ruins. But the walls, according to the ruins, according to archaeology, the walls were about 12 feet tall and 8 feet thick. Basically, two chariots could parallel go right on the top of the wall. There were rooms in the wall. There were windows in the wall. The windows were like a V-shape. Inside the city were large. Outside the city were very, very narrow. So from inside you could shoot arrows, but from outside you could not shoot inside. The walls were so big that they were inside formed with stone, strong wood, stone in the middle, iron, stone, Wood stone. Absolutely impossible to overcome those walls. And you come with people that have no army, no weapons, no those war chariots, no nothing elderly, and they want to take over that city? That's our war with Satan. It's impossible. And so there were enemies on the walls, and there were giants inside throwing hot tar and rocks and arrows, a rain of arrows that would decimate, kill everybody. It would be crazy to walk around the walls. You need to stay away from the walls. When God gives you the strategy, it's suicide. You feel that you lose everything. You lose your family, you lose your life, you lose your job, you lose your health. It's crazy. Why would you obey God? You follow me? God gave them the worst possible approach. Go around the walls and do nothing and have no weapons. Elena says, God told them, no sword should be used. Have no weapons and be quiet and just walk around the walls. That's suicide. You basically expose yourself so the enemy can kill you. What if they had a board meeting and they planned the strategy how to take over the city? Would have they won? Should we ask God to bless our plans and never succeed instead of humbling self and pray until we receive God's strategy? And so, Joshua was a man of prayer. He realized his dependence on, dependence on God and he, instead of making a board meeting and a plan, 
He was seeking God's power and presence. That's how you win the war. In the family, in the church, at work. Instead of looking for a solution, you look for God's presence. I came because you called me. What do you want me to do? Worship me. Seek God's presence before the war. Worship God. Instead of focusing on the battle, focus on God. Take your eyes off the battle. Put your eyes on God. Don't look for solutions. Look for God. For instance, think about a couple of things. I give you an example. Jehoshaphat goes before God in the temple. He takes the letter and he says, Lord, this is what they say. But what does he say before he is asking for help or for a strategy? How does he start his prayer? Worshipping. It's very strange that they all start the prayer in the Bible that way. There are 650 prayers in the Bible without the book of Psalm. That is all prayers by itself. And the prayers in the Bible don't focus on self, focus on God. Don't focus on problems, focus on God. The prayers in the Bible start by praising God. Enter his gates with... Prayers in the Bible start not asking, but praising. Why? Because God is proud and he needs to be flattered. He likes to be flattered. Is that the reason? I will take my coat off. If you have a problem, I will pray for you. <clears throat> Thank you. Prayers in the Bible start by praising God. Why? For instance, Jehoshaphat says, You are the greatest God. You are the God of the universe. You are the creator. I worship you. Thank you. You are the God who delivered us from Egypt with power and great hand and plagues. You are the God who split the sea. You are the God who gave us manna from heaven and water from the rock. You are the God who were in a pillar of fire and the cloud of... And you are the God who gave us victory and you are the God who gave us Canaan. You are such a wonderful God. Now, Lord, I have a problem and this is nothing for you. Why would Jehoshaphat remind God who God is? Do you think that because God has short... He has Alzheimer's and he forgot who he is? Why would Joshua, Jehoshaphat do that? To remind himself who God is. Because it is not safe to pray before you build faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. You go without faith and you expect an answer? Praising God doesn't, pray, doesn't help God. It helps you. It nurtures. It, it, it feeds. It, it waters faith. It develops faith. And it takes your mind off the problems and the giants and the walls and the battle. And you put your eyes on your God and he says, wow, what a God I have. I have no fear. Because God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. If he did it yesterday, he will do it again today. We have nothing to fear unless we shall forget how God has led us in the past. Therefore, before you ask something, first spend time with God and learn who your God is. And then ask. And so, Joshua seeks God's presence, fixes his eyes on God, humbles himself, praises God. No assault was to be made. They were simply to walk around the city. They were not to conquer by their skill, power, wisdom, sword, the, the plans, strategy. It was all by obedience and faith. And they were told that they are supposed to take the shofar, it says the horns, the horns of the ram, um, the priests were supposed to blow the shofar. What's the point? Well, they had two types of instruments. They had trumpets, metallic, bronze, and they had shofar. Trumpets used, were used by the Levites. 
to call people to army, to call people to war, to call people to church, to call people to wedding, to call people to different activities. Shofar was used only by the priest, and they were not to call people. Trumpets were to call people. Shofar was to call God. They used shofar Friday night when Sabbath started to call God's presence. They used shofar at Mount Sinai to call God's presence when he gave the law. They are supposed now, when you go to war, instead of seeking a solution, to call God's presence because that's how you win. And so, <clears throat> we are so focused sometimes on the battle that we don't recognize God in the middle of the battle. But God is right there. The very thing that you think it's a problem, I have this problem, Jericho, I have this problem, health, I have this problem, uh, 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 house, I have this problem, marriage, I have this problem, school. The very thing that you think it's a problem is not your problem. It is God working for you. It is God. Jesus was in the boat. They are sinking and they start screaming. And they say, don't you care that we perish? Why was Jesus sleeping? Because that storm was not the real problem. The problem they had was not the storm, but the lack of knowledge that Jesus is with them in the middle of the storm. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of the name uh, Jennifer Rothschild? You can Google on the internet and you see her pictures. She, was a, she worked for a Christian radio station and she was encouraging people and having dialogue with people and telling them to focus on God and so on and so forth. And Jennifer Rothschild had an eye disease, pigmentosa retinitis or something like that. I'm not a doctor so I may not even say it right. It's a degenerative eye disease and there is no cure. And in about two years you go absolutely, totally 100% blind and there is no cure. And she was young, about 26, and she had uh, a, a small baby. And within a few years, she lost her sight completely. And so she lost faith. Oh, Satan is attacking me, and I have been praying, and I had faith, and I have been fasting, and God doesn't answer. We do that. We fast to convince God to do what we say, not to convince us to do what God says. And so I have been fasting, and God doesn't answer. What if God protected every Adventist and nobody got poor and nobody got sick. Well, everybody would be an Adventist. Bless me, you know. I love you too. Do you have a Porsche? Who gives me a Porsche? I promise I will love you. <laughs> you don't give me a Porsche? Then I don't love you. That's what we do. If God would bless me, then I love him. When God doesn't seem to bless me, I struggle. Oh, God doesn't care. Because we measure love by blessings and answers to prayer, instead of measuring love by relationship. You need to know God enough and love him enough that regardless what happens to you, you cannot be moved. You say like Job, I've received the good and I'm willing to receive the bad because I know him. And I know if I die, I will see him. My eyes will see him. When my father died, when he was killed by the police, we were crying, praying, and my father said, stop praying for me. I said, why? He says, you know, God protected me from the police so many times. If he wanted, he could have protected me today too. And he says, you know, we are nothing in God's plan. We focus so much on self. Bless me, help me. It's all about me, 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 me. Stop focusing on self. I shall decrease and he shall increase. He says, John the Baptist lost his life. Paul lost his life. Peter, so many martyrs lost their life. Why would God help me and not them? Am I better than them? 
And my father said, we should not pray for ourselves, but we should pray that God would do whatever it takes to me that would honor him. If I need to die and that helps his work, let me die. And then he said, it's just a second after I die to the resurrection. Because people who die know nothing. It's just a second to the resurrection and then I see Jesus. So if I live, I live for him. If I die, I will see him. I'm happy. Stop praying for me. And then he prayed for us. And then he said, you know, people in the church don't work. I've been doing all door for so many years. Sometimes you need to cut a big tree so the small trees grow. And he, he said to my mom, put on the stone. I know my Redeemer. I know I'll see him. And he closed his eyes. We focus so much on self. God did not call you to blessings. God called you to sacrifice. Jesus didn't come to be blessed. He came to serve and to bless. You want to be Jesus' disciple? Take your eyes off answers and blessings. Put your eyes on the cross. Then you are a Christian. Hello? Oh, people promise you that if you get baptized, you will be happy and blessed. They lie. Satan doesn't have a problem with you when you don't decide to follow Jesus. Satan attacks you when you follow Jesus. So if you get baptized and you decide to follow Jesus and to pray and to serve, then you get attacked. And so if you are attacked, rejoice. And so going back to the subject, because I have a tendency to go off and then we don't finish and I'm hungry. And so going back to the subject, the problem that you think that you have is not your problem. Your real problem is that you need to know God. Take your eyes off your problem and put your eyes on God. Because God is there. Nothing happens by chance, but all things work together for the benefit of those who love the Lord. If God allowed it, then it's important that you go through it. God doesn't say, if you go through waters. God says, when you go through fire or through waters. It means that you will go, it's just a matter of time. You follow me? But God gives you a promise. When you go through waters, I will be with you. He doesn't say when you go into the valley of shadow of death. He says when you go through, that means that he's going to get you out. When you go through the valley of shadow of death, I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he gives you the three ladies. Surely, mercy, you remember? And goodness that will follow you all the way of your life. Okay, and so, <laughs> so often we think that the problems that we have, it's Satan working against us, instead of realizing that it's God working for us. It is God working for us, because Illinois says, through trials, God develops in us the heavenly characteristics. Through trials... We learn to be patient, we learn to be humble, we learn to love, we learn to sacrifice. Through trials, we learn to depend on God, not on self. Through trials, we learn faith. Through, you follow me? You purify gold through fire. And so we say, Lord, give me patience. And then somebody bothers me and you say, Lord, solve the problem. You ask for the problem when you ask for patience. How can you learn patience if nobody bothers you? So stop praying for patience if you don't want anybody to bother you. It's, it's real, isn't it? How can you be patient if nobody pushes you around? Nobody steps on your toes, you know? And so, through trials, God is working to develop in us a heavenly character, the fruits of the Spirit. All things work together. Instead of praying that God will solve your problem, pray that you grow through the problem. 
So you graduate, so you don't need the problem anymore. You follow me? You need to pass the class. We are not called to fight. The battle belongs to the world. We are called to know God and to allow him to work and to grow. Why do you worry so much when you go through problems? Doesn't he promise that you are never alone? Doesn't he promise that nothing happens by chance but all things work together? Doesn't the Bible say that you should rejoice even in trials? Doesn't the Bible say rejoice always? And again I say rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. And again I say Isn't that beautiful? How many of you sing? You need to walk on the street and sing and whistle and be happy. My grandpa lived 103 years. He always was singing and talking about second coming. Always, day and night, every time you met him, every time he preached, everywhere. And they would say, why? Why do you sing all the time? Because I know my Lord. Why do you talk about second coming? Because that's the reason I live, to see Jesus. Why don't you sing? Don't you have a God that is love? In repentance, not in fight, in rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you, not on problems. So, God gives Joshua the strategy. You don't develop a strategy in a board meeting. God gives you the strategy. So God tells Joshua, we need to hurry. God tells Joshua, says, this is what you do. Remember, those who wait upon the Lord. We have a problem with the word wait. You pray and then you act. And that's the reason God cannot bless. You need to, if Abraham didn't wait, if Abraham married his slave, he created problems. When we help God, we make a mess. God doesn't need your help. Wait upon the Lord. And so, it is not the capabilities that you possess that will give you success. It is only what the Lord can do for you. We need to have less confidence in self and more confidence in God. He longs to have you reach after him in faith. He longs you to expect great things from him. Don't pray small things. Pray big things because you have a big God. Don't pray what you think that is good. Pray for what you pray before you pray for what you pray. Let me explain. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit has to intercede because we don't even know. But in fact, in Greek says we don't know what to ask for. So, pray for what to pray before you pray it. Lord, this is what I think that is good. But your plans are far from my plans. You know the future, you know the big picture, I know nothing. So, because I don't have wisdom, inspire me what to pray for, so I don't pray for what I think, I pray for what you want me to pray. You follow me? And so, you need to expect big things from him, you need to expect the plan from him, you need to expect God to lead your mind, your prayer, your actions. Jesus says, I do nothing of myself, I do the words of the Father. And later in John, Jesus says, I don't even speak my own words, I speak the words of the Father. Do you think that Jesus had no brain to speak? You need to get to that point of walking with God that you don't even afford to open your mouth before the Lord puts the word in your mouth and then you have success. Nehemiah goes to the king. The king says, what is wrong? And Nehemiah says, before answering, I prayed and asked God. You cannot answer in your wisdom. And so what does the Lord says to Joshua? I have delivered. That's past tense. When you look to the problem, you see it today. 
God sees it in the past because for God a thousand days is like a day, you know, nothing. So God knows the end. God knows that you'll be in heaven. God knows that you'll be victorious. God knows. So God says, hey, it's a done deal. Stop struggling. Don't you remember 10 years ago you had a problem and you struggle and right now you don't even remember? Don't you remember 5 years ago you had a crisis in life and it's gone? This is going to go too. Stop focusing on the problem. And so, I have delivered Jericho. It's done deal. This is what you should do. March around the city. God's plan doesn't make any sense. When you talk, it makes sense. When God talks, it doesn't make sense. Stop trying to understand. And so, let's move on. This is what happens. They walked around Jericho first day one time. Tell me what happened after they walked around Jericho. Nothing. Nothing. And they walked second day, and what happened? And they walked third day, and what happened? If you were them, wouldn't you look for some sign, some cracks in the wall, something? And you say, man, this strategy doesn't work. Do you follow me? Like the Naaman, the, the, the captain of the Syrian army that has leper, and the girl tells him to go, and the prophet tells him to go, and, 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 and dip in Jordan. And he dips one time, he comes out, and he looks, oh, leper is there. He dips second time, and leper is there. Dips third time, and says, nonsense! Do you follow me? When you obey God, doesn't seem to go anywhere. Stop looking for answers. In the Bible, 92% from all the Bible prayers, in the Bible, answer to prayer is not an event, it's a process. You want me to repeat it? In English or in Romanian? In the Bible, answer to prayer is not an event, it's a process, it takes time. Abraham prayed for a son, it took 25 years. Anna prayed for, prayed for a child, it took several years. Uh, you, you follow me? Joseph took seven years in prison. Moses took 40 years in the wilderness. In the Bible, when Daniel prayed, nothing happened. Three weeks later, the angel Gabriel comes and says, when you started to pray, I started to work. But you didn't see anything. I put it in my words. I paraphrase it. You didn't see it. But now, finally, I finished and I come to give you the results. When you start to pray, God starts working. And because you don't see it, you doubt. You don't need to see it. You just need to know the Lord and to trust that though you don't understand, He is working. You follow me? He is working. And so you need to patiently wait upon the Lord. And when the result is gathered, He comes with the, He's ready, He comes with the result. And so, answer to prayer. It's a process, most of the time. Therefore, they walked second time, they walked third time, and they were not looking for an answer. If you look for an answer, you get depressed praying. Look for God. And then you don't get depressed when you don't see the answer. You will see it, but in God's timing. And Elena White says, better than you imagine to pray. When you solve the problem, it's garbage. When God solves it, it's amazing. Okay, so what happened? This is what you need to realize. That battle is not about you. Satan actually is not after you. He is after Christ. It's the great controversy between Satan and God. And Satan attacks you, hoping to attack God. But if you hide yourself in God, he who has Christ has life. You are safe if Christ lives in you. So, every battle is about God. Stop focusing on self. I have a problem. I have a need. I have a... Would you please help me, Lord? 
Take yourself off the center and put God in the center and realize the battle is about God. It's the great controversy. And so say, Lord, whatever you do to me, I don't care. I want you to triumph. You do that, you honor God. So, what happened? I need to jump over and finish. I need to jump over and finish because we are so late and I am so hungry. <laughs> At the seventh day, they were supposed to walk seven times. You remember? Okay. They walked seven times. Nothing happened. That means that you don't assume that the plan for today is good tomorrow. You need to seek a new plan every day that is according to God's plan and according to the needs of the day. So if you walked yesterday one time, don't assume that you know the drill. Seek God's presence every day and God's plan every day. I'm tempted to give one example, but I don't give you any more stories. But this is what Ellen White says, that he opened himself to God's plan and followed in faith. And now listen carefully. He was serving God, not self. He was serving God at any price. Well, let me give you a quotation. When you have trials, if you give up your problems, try it one time. Do it one time and see the results. If you give up your problems, and instead of focusing on the problem or on self, you focus on God's honor and work, and you say, whatever happens to me, not important. I'm not going to even pray for myself. If you do that, and you focus and say, Lord, how can you use this problem to glorify you and to prosper your kingdom? How can you use this problem, even if I suffer and I lose my house, how can you use this problem that you will be honored? Pray that and to see the results. Elena says, says so. If you give yourself to God to serve him and do his work, you have no need to be anxious for tomorrow. He whose servant you are knows the end from the beginning. You can read it. The events of tomorrow that are hidden from you are open to his eyes. And so, <clears throat> God works in a different way than you work. I had a friend in Italy, and he told me, I want to follow God's plan and I want to stop serving self. But I do have needs, real needs. Doesn't God say, cast upon him all your needs. I said, you are right. God does say that. There is nothing wrong to present your needs before the Lord. The problem is that you don't understand the grammar. He says, what do you mean? He doesn't say, dance with your needs before the Lord. He says, cast your needs upon the Lord. And the word there means to throw something, when, like when you cast stones. To throw something with power, translation, translate is like to throw something with power so far that you cannot touch it or reach it or take it back. When you go to the Lord and talk about your needs, you actually dance. Oh, this is my problem, and this is my problem, and this is, and you complain and whine, and, and then you take it back and go. Because you don't trust that he is able to deal with it. You are supposed to give him, throw at him your problem, and say, now it's yours, I don't have a problem. And leave it with him. And trust that he is able, and he loves you. Do you follow me? Why don't we do that? Because we don't know him. And so, I told my friend, what? he said, what's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my mortgage? I need to pay the mortgage. 
That's what people used to tell me in the church. If I come to evangelism every night for 30 days, and then we come twice a week for Bible studies, and then we come another twice a week for the people who get baptized, what happens to my business? I said, close it. Well, you, you have a salary, you are a pastor, but me? I said, you don't need If you die, I will pray for, at your funeral. No, no, no worries. You need to die for Jesus. He says, pastor, it's easy to say. I said, oh, come on, let's all die. <laughs> and I said, why don't you try one time? Taste and see how good the Lord is. Seek first the king. Let's try one time. And they did. And they came to me, the church, and they said, you know, pastor, since we started to sacrifice for the Lord and we focus on evangelism and we focus on Bible studies and we focus on the city, since we do that, our business doesn't go worse. In fact, it goes better. You'll never outgive God. You'll never lose when you put God first. But we don't know him enough to trust him. And therefore, we put self first and pray for self all the time. There is nothing wrong to pray for your needs as long as you put God first and you have right priorities. There is nothing wrong to pray for your needs if you present them and then let God be God and say, may your will be done and move on and let his will be done. Mean it what you say it. There is nothing wrong to present your needs. When, if you, when you present your needs, you say, Lord, this is my need, but may your plan happen the way it would glorify you. You follow me? And so... I told my friend, I said, you don't need to fight your problems. You need to serve the Lord. Stop focusing in your life. You live for you. Stop living for you. You are a Christian. You need to live for Jesus. If you are a Christian and live like, like the world, then you are in the world. And you misrepresent the church. You should not be in the church and live like the world. Either get out or live like Jesus. God doesn't need many. He needs quality. Sure, he wants many. But people who are in the church and misrepresent the church, they do damage to the church. I said, get out. He said, well, well, I want to be saved. Stop wanting to be saved. You should not want to be saved. He says, what? I said, you heard me. Moses says, take my name off and save them. Am I right or wrong? Jesus came taking the greatest risk to lose eternity to save us. Paul says, I would rather be anathema, that in Greek means cut off, so you can save them. You need to get to the point to love people as Jesus loves people and say, if that takes for their salvation, take my name off. Only then you become like Jesus. I said, stop thinking about you. He said, well, that's hard. I said, yes, finally, welcome. <laughs> and then he says, so what do you want me to do? Nothing. I want you to pray and seek God's plan at any cost. At any cost. At any cost. If God says, sacrifice your son, do it. If God says, leave your country, do it. If God says, sell your house, do it. Tomorrow there will be a tornado. You lose it anyway. Tomorrow they take it away. Don't worry about it. You don't focus on stuff. He said, well, that's hard. I said, that's the reason God has to take it from you because you are not willing to give it up. If you're willing to give it up, God no, will not need to take it from you. Whatever you save, you lose. Whatever you lose or you are willing to lose, that's what you save. When Abraham was willing to lose his son, he didn't lose his son. God is not after your stuff. God is after your faith. And so I told him, give it up. He said, well, that's challenging. Amen. I like challenges. And so he said, okay, I'll pray about it. I said, stop praying about it. Just do it. He and his wife made the decision and they said, Lord, we are going to seek you. Not blessings, and we are going to seek service and sacrifice self. And they had a good business. They were very well to do in Italy. Contractors, anyway. So he called me, says, I've been praying for three months. And God started to inspire me and give me his plan every day. I have in myself on the quotation that says, 
Surrender your plans every day to the Lord, ready to fulfill them or to give them up, and receive God's plan for the day. I know the plans I have for you. You follow me? So he says, since we pray, God started to give us everyday plans. And then he says, God gave us small plans and then bigger, and now he gave us a really gigantic plan. I said, okay. God wants us to basically go to Ukraine, it was during the war, and help there. I said, okay, God bless you. He talked to the church. They rented three 18-wheelers or whatever, three big, 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 big trucks. And the church brought donations. They filled them with uh, second-hand clothing and, and food and this and that and everything packed to the top. And then six people, three families, six people, husband and wife, left from Italy to Ukraine. And they drove like husband and wife in a truck, husband and wife, and you follow me. And they drove, I don't remember how long, two days and two nights or three days or whatever, they drove until they got to the border of Ukraine. They got there and they, they showed the passport to the custom, excuse me, to the customs, and they say, we need to cross. And the custom captain says, what do you have in the trucks? Stuff. What is the open? They open and they say, you are not allowed to. By the law, you are allowed to have two suitcases per person. Everything else, you pay two euros per kilogram. Oh, can you imagine the amount? And they say, well, please. So guess what he does? He called me and says, what should I do next? I said, who sent you there, me? No, God. Then call him, bye. <laughs> Why do you call me? What if everybody calls me? Leave me alone. I have a family. I have a life. And some people call me and give me a whole epistle. They talk two hours and say nothing. Just tell me what you want because I'm busy. And he says, but I don't know what to do. Pray! Well, uh, I did. I said, no, you didn't because if you did, you not call me. <laughs> oh, okay. Fifteen minutes later, he called me. I did pray. No, you didn't. Well, I did. I, not enough, obviously. Pray more. He prayed more and then he calls me like three hours later. And he says, I've been praying and no result. I said, when God doesn't seem to answer, that's an answer. Usually in the Bible, when God doesn't seem to answer, it means that he has a plan that you don't understand, and he's working on it. And you need to learn to wait. I said, but should I wait at the border? I don't know. Pray about it. And they prayed more, and God inspired them. They got, oh, by the way, he tried to help God. God is absolutely incapable to help, so he tried to help God. And so what he did, he put 200 euros, two bills of 100 each, in the passport. He goes to the captain of the, 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 the customs, and he says, would you please check my passport? And the guy checks and says, what about this money? Uh, they are a gift for you. And the guy says, hey, that's my salary for many months. I would love to take it. But if I do that, I lose my freedom and my job. So if you try again, I'm going to put you in jail. Stop trying to bribe me. And he called me, I tried. I said, who told you to try and to devise a plan? Pray and wait. They prayed and they said, God doesn't answer. And eventually, they felt inspired to rent some storage rooms and put the stuff in storage room and go back home and give it up. They rented three storage rooms. They unloaded the three trucks and then they got in the trucks and drove back two, three days to Italy. And he called me and says, God gave me the plan and now God doesn't talk. I said, no, brother, there is no place in the Bible when you obey God and everything goes smooth. You obey God, Egyptians come after you, and you are caught between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. You obey God, you want me to continue? When you obey God, Satan is after you. 
That's not an opportunity to struggle. That's an opportunity to pray. Because only when you have challenges and pray, you have miracles and stories. You follow me? So I said, don't worry, God is working. Answer to prayer, it's a process, not an event. I said, keep praying. He kept praying and then he called me a day later. I've been praying and nothing. I said, only a day? You need to wait 40 years, I'm Moses. He says, you are crazy. I said, amen. I want you to be crazy too. <laughs> he forgot. Three months later, he called me crying. You were right. You were right. You, you were right. God worked. I said, give me the story. I'm busy. <laughs> he says, nothing happened. I said, I know. It's always the same. God works the same. Tell me the end when something happened. He says, well, I got a phone call. I said, okay. From the local pastor. Okay. You know, when we left the staff, we called the local pastor and we gave him the combination to the storage rooms. Okay. So he came with six retired church members that have nothing to do, you know, retired. And, you know, retired people do nothing. That's what people think. <laughs> retired people do a lot. Sometimes more than the young people. I hate to say that. Young people do too, no offense. <laughs> and so he came with six retired people plus the pastor, seven, all two suitcases. He, they crossed the border, 14 suitcases. <laughs> Next day, they crossed the border, 14 suitcases. <laughs> Next day, they crossed the border, 14 suitcases. And the captains from the customs says, it's going to take you forever, an eternity, with 14 suitcases to empty three 18-wheelers. How much money do you make from selling that stuff? And the pastor says, we don't sell it, we give it for free. He said, in our world, nothing is free. No, we don't sell it, we give it to the poor. Well, you have strings attached. You want them to come to your church, you want, you want to baptize them. Don't we do that? We help in order to, you know? Oh, you want to baptize, there are strings attached. He said, no, there were 10 lepers that came to Jesus. Jesus knew that only one would come back. Nevertheless, he healed all ten. We help people because we love people. And wish, we wish that they know God, but that's their choice. We want to be like Jesus. We give it for free. And the captain says, if that was real, I would be interested in that type of religion, but I don't believe it. Can you explain it to me, how it works? And the pastor sat down and gave him a whole Bible study on grace and love. And next day, 14 suitcases, and he says, what happens to people when this and that and that? And what happens to the law? Is the law abolished? And, what? and every day the pastor gave him a Bible study. And the captain of the customs said, you know, this is too interesting for the other soldiers to pass it. So I want you to stay two hours every day in the customs. And we have, yep, we have 22 soldiers here, including myself. I'm going to have 11 do the customs and 11 listen to you for one hour. And then we switch, the other 11 come and you repeat the same study so everybody can hear it. So a month and a half, he went to all 20, whatever, eight, nine, you know, and he taught them. And then 11 soldiers got baptized. Amen. And the captain says, now I am one of you. And yes, you are like Jesus. I want you to take trucks and you don't have to come with suitcases. Just take everything and give it to the poor. So the pastor called my friend in Italy and my friend called me and says, God, what? He said, answer to prayer, it's a process. You don't need to understand God in order to obey God. You just need to know God in order to obey God. And so, folks, I, we need to finish. We need to finish. Before you go against the giants, you must have an encounter with God. 
You cannot fight the enemy before you worship God and behold God and know God and submit to God and seek his plan. Your battle is not a crisis. Stop complaining. It's an opportunity. God allowed it and you need it. When we take in our hands the management of things which we have to do and depend on our own wisdom, we are taking a burden which God has never given us and try to bear it without his aid. We are taking of ourselves the responsibility that belongs to God and thus we put ourselves in God's place. Hello? But when we really believe that God loves us and means good, then we stop worrying for the future. We trust as a child trusts in the parent. Then our troubles will disappear. Amen. If you don't see God in every situation, you will fail. The battle of tomorrow requires an encounter with God today. The victory of tomorrow depends on the relationship with God today. The faith for tomorrow is built today to trials. The walls will never come down before you fix your eyes on God and see God in the middle of the crisis. Your greatest moments of worship are not in the church, but in the daily battles. I've never seen people growing faith in the church, but I've seen people growing faith in hospital. And this is the key. This is the amazing part. This is the key, brothers. Let me jump there. Jericho came down with our human hands. Am I right? But let me tell you the key. Jericho was never built again. When there, was, there were no casualties. Nobody in Israel group perished. When you fight, there will be casualties. When God fights for you, there is no loss. Number one. Number two, the enemy that you struggle with and see today, you will never see again. And tomorrow, you will still be there standing and the enemy will be gone forever. You follow me? Number three, this is the nicest part. Think about it. God told them, go before the walls, walk seven times on the seventh day, blow the shofar, and then, he says, shout of victory. Hey, were they supposed to shout after the walls came down or before? But did they know the story that the walls will come down by themselves? No. God wants you to have such a strong faith in him that before you see any type of result to your prayer, you crazy stop jumping up and down and screaming and whistling and says, I got it! And you rejoice and people say, are you crazy? You still have cancer. Are you crazy? You are still in divorce. You still don't have a job. Are you crazy? You still don't have a baby. Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And you say, I have my God and I know my God and I rejoice. That's what Jesus says. Believe that you have received them and they are yours. You will have them. Sarah believed and then she conceived. Ellen White says, you need to rejoice in faith and then God can honor his promise. You don't need to wait for the worst to happen, to get down, to see the miracle in order to rejoice. You need to rejoice before it happens. You follow me? Then you have peace. And so, don't look to the walls. Don't talk about the walls. Don't let your heart be troubled. Elena says, speak faith. Think faith. Pray faith. Get in front of the walls and shout of victory. Be crazy. Talk faith. Because whatever you talk, influences the way you think. 
I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in my God. I'll trust in the Lord and not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength and my song. There is plenty of Bible verses. Use them when you go through trials. It is your attitude that allows him to work. Never allow yourself to talk in a hopeless, discouraged way. If you do that, you lose. By looking at appearances and complaining, uh, you give evidence of a sickly faith. Talk and act as your faith was invincible. Oh, somebody said to me, but if I don't see and I don't feel anything, you are based on God's word, not on your feelings. The Lord is rich and he owns the world. Look to him in faith. I pray that this is not another sermon. I pray that the Holy Spirit works in your heart today. And as you go home, you understand the Holy Spirit is calling you to stop focusing on self, stop focusing on your uh, battles, stop focusing on your plans to get victory. Uh, rather seek a relationship with Christ. Because that's what we need. We need to be filled with his presence. You know the Achilles story, Achilles heel. You remember? He says that he was invincible because his mother took him when he was born and immersed him in sticks, waters. And whoever was immersed when he was born would be invincible. But the mother held him from his foot, heel, and she didn't get the heel in the water. And one time he was running and the arrow got into the heel. Satan is going to get after your sensitive spot if you are not all immersed, covered with the armor, of, with the presence, if you are not all immersed in Christ. That's the real problem. Not the problem that we struggle with. That's the problem that we have. Seek Christ more than you seek help. Seek Christ more than you seek eternal life. What would be heaven without Christ? Seek Christ before you seek anything else. Because he who has Christ has life. Eternal life is to know him. That's the key. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.